0: The strange but true story featured on this podcast contains details some people may find unsettling. Listener discretion is advised. I'm Chaya Samuel and things are about to get weird. Why, hello there. Welcome back to another episode of Things Are About To Get Weird. I hope you're all well, and if you're listening to this off the back of our previous couple of episodes, don't worry, we're taking a little break from the heavier, more true crime-focused stories today. If you're brand new to the podcast, this is a show dedicated to everything strange but true, We cover a huge mixture of topics, from things like bizarre true crime tales and unsolved mysteries, to wild life stories and unexplained phenomena. There's a sprinkle of the supernatural and paranormal from time to time, and I love a good survival against all odds story too, so you can expect a few of those along the way. But today, for the very first time, we're venturing firmly into the territory of apparent UFO Sightings. Now, this is a bit of a strange one for me because I've never been 100% sure where I land on these kinds of incidents. I feel like, of all of the subjects that come under the weird umbrella, UFO sightings are always the things that make me raise an eyebrow and look over them with more of a sceptical eye. But when one of our fabulous listeners, Jane, got in touch and asked whether I'd heard about this specific encounter, it definitely piqued my interest. There are some incredibly weird details and developments in this story that make it really quite compelling to me. So today I'm going to be telling you all about the Broadhaven School UFO sighting of 1977. And I urge you to join me in keeping an open mind as we go through. I def- Definitely understand if you're going into this one as a non-believer because I'm so on the fence myself but it's undoubtedly fascinating just very quickly before we start I have some exciting news to share our very first merch collection has finally launched thank you for your patience I know lots of you have been asking for merch for a really long time now so I hope you like these initial pieces This is just the beginning, I have lots more ideas for the future, but I'm just so excited to finally have this first drop all good to go. I'll leave a link in the show notes to the merch store and we'll also pop it in my link tree and on social media too. A massive thank you to everyone who has already made a purchase. I appreciate it more than I can say, and it really helps to support the podcast. So without further ado, let's get into the story. Today's tale takes us over to Wales, but rather than my spiritual home of North Wales, we actually find ourselves in the west of the country. More specifically, the seaside village of Broadhaven in the county of Pembrokeshire. On the 4th of February, 1977, the day began much like any other for the children attending Broadhaven Primary School. The pupils had arrived in the morning and hurried into their classrooms no doubt keen to warm up after their journey to school in the chilly winter weather. But with kids being kids, when their morning break time rolled around, I'm sure none of them were at all bothered by the temperature. They would have been eager to get outside and run and play, and by all accounts, this is how their break began that day. But when the children started to file back indoors, a few of them were noticeably puzzled by something they had spotted near one particular area of their playground. Something in the sky. In a field close to the school grounds, several students were convinced that they had seen what was best described as a flying saucer, an unidentified craft hovering in the air before quickly disappearing. Whispers began to spread through the school about these strange observations, and before long, word had spread to the majority of the children, including a then 10-year-old boy named David Davies. Although David described himself as a natural-born sceptic, He had heard so many reports throughout the day about these UFO-like entities that he was curious to explore the area for himself. As soon as the bell rang at the end of the school day, he headed outside to cast his own admittedly sceptical eye over the location. David recalls that the school's teachers had been very dismissive of the apparent sightings, and that the head teacher had believed the children were playing a joke on him, so nothing further had been investigated by the adults. But David was still intrigued enough to venture out, and what he was about to witness would end up changing his life forever. After reaching the spot at the perimeter of the school's grounds where his fellow pupils had seen the mysterious flying objects earlier in the day, David describes what he saw next, telling the BBC that he observed a cigar-shaped craft with a dome covering the middle third. He said, "'My sighting only lasted a couple of seconds. It popped up, then went back behind a tree.'" He remembers it being around the size of a bus and having a kind of fluorescent property to it. I think if most of us saw something like this, I'm sure we would feel a whole host of emotions all at once. For me, I know I would probably feel a mix of shock and amazement, and that's very much what David describes too. He said that he didn't feel afraid of the object. But as much as he was experiencing feelings of awe and wonderment, he also did feel some urge to run away, which is totally understandable. Now this day, the 4th of February, was a Friday. And as you'd imagine, once the children returned home from school that afternoon, the ones who had seen the strange hovering saucer were eager to tell their parents all about it. And I can only assume that the parents were in contact with one another, because over the course of the weekend, the story grew and grew. By Monday morning, the local media had received word that up to 14 different kids from Broadhaven Primary School had reportedly seen a UFO near their playground. I'm sure that at this point, the level of doubt amongst the adults involved, both the teachers and the parents, was fairly high. We already know that the teachers had brushed off the claims on the Friday. And I wouldn't be surprised if many of the parents thought it was all part of some kind of game or their kids' imaginations run wild at first. But by Monday, when the talk of these sightings was only growing louder, the head teacher decided to take action, and what he did was very interesting indeed. When the 14 children arrived at school that morning, the head teacher isolated each of them and asked them to not only draw exactly what they had seen, but also provide a written description of the unidentified object, and the similarities between their accounts were quite staggering. Although there were a few variations in the details of the children's drawings, overall their pictures showed incredibly similar impressions of the shape and proportions of the craft. I've seen quite a few of the drawings and many of them do show that cigar-shaped or saucer-like base with a dome on the top. A number of the kids also reported an additional experience, saying they saw a tall figure in a silver suit alongside the UFO. Once the local media picked up on the story, it didn't take long before interest in the students' experience spread further than they could have ever imagined. They were interviewed by newspapers and television stations from all over the world and some of the clips are still available to watch online. Something that struck me is how matter-of-fact the children were when they were talking about what they'd seen. There were a couple of nervous giggles from time to time, but generally they did look to be taking it very seriously. And to this day, not a single one of the 14 children have ever come forward to say that they lied or exaggerated about what they'd witnessed. In fact, David still speaks about his experience regularly, and his story hasn't changed at all in over 45 years. He's even revealed that he was bullied incessantly throughout his years at secondary school because he was known as the kid who'd seen the spaceship. Yet he held firm about his experience and refused to pretend it didn't happen in order to deter his bullies. The more you read, the more apparent it becomes that the schoolchildren are certain about what they observed in the sky that day. Now, when I started looking into this story and I read about the kids' encounter in Broadhaven, I thought, oh, you know, that's definitely interesting. It's pretty strange how the children all independently described such a similar object and saw it at different points during the day. But I'm not sure that there's much more to say about it. How very wrong I was. Because when I tell you that what I discovered next sent me into a bit of a supernatural spiral, I am not kidding. What if I were to tell you that the Broadhaven school sighting was not the only one to happen in Pembrokeshire that year? And what's more, what if it wasn't the only one that took place on that very same day. If things were already feeling odd, they're only about to get weirder, because in more recent times, 1977 has been dubbed a flap year for the county which is a term often used to describe a cluster of UFO sightings. The observations all took place within an area that's been referred to as the Broadhaven Triangle, the Welsh Triangle, or the Duffed Triangle. And I'm sure this will come as a surprise to no one, but along with these additional alleged sightings have come numerous theories and possible explanations which largely aim to debunk the authenticity of the encounters. But before we explore those, let's take a closer look at these reported extraterrestrial happenings starting with the one that took place on the very same day as the Broadhaven school sightings. One of the strangest things about this event is that it also involves a school, this time the Old Hubberston School in the Pembrokeshire town of Milford Haven. According to research conducted by writer Peter Paget, who looked into these incidents for his book The Welsh Triangle, On the 4th of February, 1977, a group of around 20 students and one adult saw an unidentified spacecraft flying over their playground during their lunch break. They too described it as cigar-shaped, which lined up exactly with what many of the children in Broadhaven reported seeing. Don't forget, the media reports about the Broadhaven sighting didn't emerge until the Monday afterwards so it would be incredibly unlikely that one school could have stolen the other's story. As far as I can find, none of those involved in the Hubberston school sighting have spoken out to the media in recent years, but the same cannot be said for those connected to some of the other 1977 incidents. One of the most notable happened back towards Broadhaven, at the Grade 2 listed site of the Haven Fort Hotel, which was run at the time by a lady named Rosa Granville. Back in 2016, her daughter Francine spoke to Wales Online about what her mother experienced just a couple of months after the Broadhaven school incident. This is a direct quote. She said... "'My mum, Rosa, was a no-nonsense sort of woman. "'This was very much out of character. "'She was not the type of person "'who would believe in aliens. "'It was early morning and mum was woken by a buzzing noise "'and she thought she'd left the gas boiler on. "'Once downstairs, she realised the noise was from outside.'" She looked out and saw about 100 feet away, an oval object she could only describe as a spacecraft with lights, slowly land and two figures emerge in silver suits. She was terrified because the figures, although reminiscent of men, had exceptionally long arms and legs, their heads were covered by helmets, she called them creatures.' I don't know why, but the exceptionally long arms and legs part really gives me the creeps. I'm sure there are weirder parts of this story to focus on, but that bit really got me, Oof. And just to make things even creepier, we then head back over to Milford Haven to a sighting that combines both the spacecraft and the creatures in a weirdly prolonged encounter. Emlyn Williams from the Swansea UFO Network described the experience of a local councillor named Cyril John. One morning in 1977, he was awake very early to catch a train to London, when through his bedroom window he spotted an unusually bright light. He walked over to the window and peered outside, and what he spotted in the sky was nothing short of bizarre. As Emlyn told Wales Online, Not only did Cyril notice a grey egg-shaped object with a bright orange-red light on the top of it, but a quote, seven or eight foot humanoid type figure who was floating in the air like a parachutist about 30 feet away and wore a silver grey boiler suit and it was motionless before both just slowly drifted away. The visual of this has just made me feel all shivery, especially when you add in the additional detail that both the object and the figure were allegedly visible in the sky for around 25 minutes. I think this example is particularly fascinating as because Cyril was a local councillor and held a position of power within the community, I can imagine that it took a lot for him to speak up about his experience for the fear of being ridiculed by his more sceptical peers. But if all of these examples weren't quite enough for this story, we have one more which is, in my opinion, the most bizarre of all. Between January of 1977 and January of 1978, A family living on a Pembrokeshire farm had their lives turned upside down by a series of terrifyingly odd supernatural events. The Coombs family, who owned a place called Ripperston Farm, reported several really quite disturbing experiences involving visits from otherworldly beings during this flap year period. Pauline Coombs, who is the mother of the family, has spoken out about a number of the incidents, including the time herself, her mother and her children were driving home to the farm through Pembrokeshire when they noticed an incredibly bright orb of light in the sky. As they continued their journey, they realised that the orb seemed to be chasing them. And as this chase progressed, the car suddenly cut out completely, as though the energy powering the vehicle had been zapped by whatever was following them. But the story that really got me was the one that happened to Pauline and her husband, Billy, late one night at their home. Around 10 p.m., the couple were sat watching TV and winding down from their day, when suddenly they felt that they were not alone. Glancing towards a nearby window, Pauline and Billy thought they spotted something outside and when they looked closer, they were horrified to see what they described as a seven foot tall being in a silver suit and a black visor peering into their house. When it was stood tall, the top of its head was actually above the window frame and they were understandably terrified. The couple called the police, and when the authorities arrived, they conducted a search of the farm's grounds. Although they couldn't find the silver-suited being, they did discover that a rosebush in the garden was totally charred, as though an intense heat source had been present around it. The thought of it being late at night and seeing a human standing at your window looking in is scary enough let alone a creature you fully believe to be from another planet oh god So as with many of the unexplained tales that we cover on the podcast, there have naturally been multiple alternative theories put forward in connection with the Broadhaven Triangle sightings. It's not altogether surprising that many people were unwilling to simply believe that all of these accounts were the result of genuine extraterrestrial activity. So let's dive into a few of the possible explanations that were floated. The first, of course, is that they were down to someone playing a series of pranks. In fact, in 1996, a local businessman named Glyn Edwards admitted that during 1977, he'd occasionally wander around the Broadhaven area dressed in a silver suit as a joke. Could this have accounted for at least some of the various sightings of a strange being in a metallic outfit popping up unexpectedly? It's very possible. But when the accounts of these sightings also include a spacecraft, or an incredibly bright light chasing a car, or a figure floating in the air, or being eight feet tall with unusually long arms and legs, it doesn't really add up. I'm sure Glynn's prank didn't help matters, but personally, I don't think it scratches the surface in terms of a blanket explanation for the encounters. Similarly, in 2013, a suggestion was made by a former US Navy sailor that the beings in the silver suits were in fact military personnel wearing their fireproof uniforms and that the UFOs were actually new Harrier jets that were being flown over the area. Whilst this does feel more reasonable as an answer to the mystery, there's a part of me that, again, feels like it just wouldn't fit with many of the details of the sightings. I'm sure that the group of 10-year-old children would have been able to tell the difference between a plane and a flying saucer, let alone the adults. Harrier jump jets were an unusual shape but they were still clearly planes. Also, if the unidentified beings really were military personnel, why were they consistently described as being incredibly tall? Were all of the pilots stationed nearby over seven feet in height? I mean, it's technically possible, but it seems unlikely. And then we get to one of the most commonly cited explanations related to the Broadhaven primary school sighting in particular. Over the years, many people have suggested that due to the school being surrounded by so many fields, including a sewage works, that perhaps the spaceship they saw was in fact some kind of farm machinery or a sewage tanker in the distance. This one feels off to me for a couple of reasons. One being that we're talking about 10 year olds here. They would definitely know the difference between a road vehicle and a flying object. They were children, yes, but when you hear them talking in their interview clips, they were clearly all very bright and articulate kids. And secondly, the children were all very used to seeing farm machinery on a daily basis. Many of them were from farming families, and the ones who weren't would have almost certainly had friends who were, and they'd have grown up seeing all kinds of farm machinery. I wouldn't be surprised if this suggestion had stemmed from some adults at the time brushing the whole thing off with the closest thing that came to mind. You can just picture someone saying, oh, it was just probably one of those silver sewage tankers from across the way that they saw. Nothing to make a fuss about. Interestingly though, to this day, David Davies has remained open-minded to different theories. He's confirmed that he's never sensationalised his story, just simply spoken the truth about what he saw that day, and continues to openly discuss his experience with those fascinated by the events in Broadhaven during the second half of the 1970s. So what do I make of all of this? Has putting together this episode finally convinced me, beyond all doubt, that beings from other planets really have visited Earth? and that the Broad Haven Triangle was a hot spot for this back in 1977. I have to be honest, I did find a lot of these stories incredibly intriguing, and a lot of the more rational theories about them less than compelling. But I think the way I view UFO-related incidents is similar to how a lot of people think about things like ghosts and spirits. It's not that I don't think they could exist, but because I haven't personally experienced a sighting, I find it difficult to say that I am categorically 100% a believer. As many of you will know, I have had paranormal experiences, including one where I am absolutely sure that I saw a ghost. What's interesting about that in this context is that I was about the same age as the children in this story when I had that experience. This makes me feel very conflicted. I do believe that they witnessed something out of the ordinary. Whether that was an alien spacecraft or something else entirely, I don't know but that does lead on to the other train of thought I had. There is proof that the Ministry of Defence did carry out an investigation into the Broadhaven sightings shortly after the 1977 flap year, and a Tory peer named Lord Black actually made a statement about this in 2015. He said, A number of recently released MOD files leaves little doubt that a small number of sightings of aerial phenomena particularly by military personnel, pilots and air traffic controllers, remain unexplained and unidentified. There needs to be further examination of these issues in the hope of learning something new. And for me, not only does this widen up the whole case, but it pretty much wipes out all of the previously proposed theories too and leaves a huge question mark over the whole thing. There were clearly a lot more sightings that we don't even know about. I'm sure some people would question whether the sightings were a result of secretive military activity or testing, rather than visits to our planet by UFOs, but again, the proof just isn't there. What I will say is this, I don't believe that we're alone in this universe. What that could mean exactly, I have no idea, but if it means that anything is possible, then perhaps incidents like those in the Broad Haven Triangle should be looked at again in the search for an answer. Well, how was that for a change of pace on the podcast? I have no doubt that this episode will be a divisive one. I know there are some very strong believers out there and a good number of sceptics too, so I truly can't wait to hear your thoughts on this topic. In general, do you believe that spacecrafts have entered our atmosphere before? If so, how legitimate do the Broadhaven sightings feel to you? Have you ever had an experience of your own? I would absolutely love to know, particularly on that last point. So please do get in touch. And if, like me, you're a little more unsure about exactly how you feel about it all, do tell me, because honestly, I think a lot of us are in the same boat, and it will make me feel better about sitting on the fence in my conclusion. Anyway, for now, it's time for us to switch lanes somewhat, because up next is our aptly named outro feature. Here is Weird Media. For the second episode in a row I have another first for Weird Media because today's recommendation is for a game. So last weekend I got the chance to play around with a VR setup on a PS5 and I ended up playing a game set in the Walking Dead universe called Saints and Sinners and oh my god it is so much fun. To be honest, I'm not a huge modern gamer. I love a retro video game. I was quite literally one of the first in line to buy the mini SNES when it was released a few years ago. And in general, I choose the PS1 over the PS5. But I have to admit that all of this VR gaming stuff is very, very cool. I think I've mentioned this before, but I was a huge fan of The Walking Dead TV show from day one. So I was naturally up for having a go at this game. But I don't think I was fully prepared for how ridiculously realistic and immersive the virtual reality experience of it would be. It's a good job. I'm one of those people who weirdly enjoys being scared by horror films and games because it was bloody terrifying. The first time I had to take a zombie out in the game, I was genuinely shaking because it felt so real. Without being too graphic, the motions and the feelings of the weapons are very realistic. So when you do a Shaun of the Dead and are in the process of removing the head or destroying the brain of a zombie, or a walker in this case, the sensations are pretty wild. But all of that gore aside, the strategy and exploration side of the game is awesome. I only played and then watched my husband play the first few missions of the game. But even within that you can tell that there are countless side quests and additional elements to it. It looks amazing, you honestly feel like you're in a proper post-apocalyptic world and the attention to detail is next level. To be honest I have to stop playing after 20 or 30 minutes to take a break because the VR sickness starts to kick in and I feel really dizzy, but the game really is a lot of fun. I've heard that there are some other really great zombie VR games out there too, so hopefully I'll be able to give some of those a whirl as well. But Saints and Sinners was a brilliant place to start. I'd love to know if any of you have delved into virtual reality gaming and what you thought of it. I've heard that doing shorter, sharper sessions is the way to go so you don't get too absorbed into it. And I do get why people say that. I think as an occasional way to game, it's very, very, very fun. Okay, as always, here's a quick rundown of the sources which helped me put together my research for today's story. The Wales Online website was incredible, there were several amazing articles on there, one by the journalist Lucy John from June 2022, one by Sean Morgan from 2015, and another by Joanne Ridout from February 2022. There was a great feature on the BBC's website from February 2017, which marked the 40th anniversary of the school sightings. There was a piece on the website bestofwales.co.uk, which was helpful, and another from the site thelibrarydoor.me, which discussed writings about the Coombs family. Finally, there was a short article on Yahoo Finance, of all places, by Jack Riley from Feb 2022, which outlined some of the most significant sightings. There are lots of ways that you can get in touch to tell me what you thought of today's story. On Instagram, our handle is at thingsgetweirdpodcast, and on Twitter, it's at abouttogetweird, although we're not super active over there. Facebook is a much better bet and you can find both the main podcast page and also the private discussion group too. Just search for Things Are About To Get Weird on there and they should both appear. If you fancy popping me an email, the address is thingsgetweirdpodcast at gmail.com and our Patreon page is always linked in the show notes if you would like to support the podcast over there. And as I mentioned at the start, I'll also link our brand new merch page in the show notes too. A huge thank you for listening today. And if you've enjoyed the episode, a quick star rating on Spotify or a written review on Apple Podcasts would be massively appreciated. Thank you to everyone who takes the time to show us some love over there. I've also recently started uploading our episodes to YouTube too. It's just the audio files rather than a filmed version of the recording process. But if you're ever up for a re-listen, feel free to look up The Things Are About To Get Weird channel over there and subscribe if you fancy. Otherwise, I will be back here in another couple of weeks with a brand new episode for you all. So until next time, take care of yourself and others and keep it weird, but the good kind of weird.